I don't know what I did to deserve that. If that was him, I think that was him. I could do that, but I don't play very much in public. Mine would sound like that too. Uh, yeah. That was good, wasn't it? Man, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, when I go speak in churches, usually one of the first things I do is mention North Greenville University and say something like on behalf of the president, uh, you know, we appreciate support and your prayers and this kind of thing. But since he's going to be here tomorrow, I can just I can let him speak for himself. So he can just do that uh, tomorrow. But uh, you will have an opportunity later on to hear from my esteemed colleague, Mike Landrum, on a subject that is absolutely vital for today. And so I know you'll look, uh, look forward to hearing that. And uh, your pastor told a story. I don't know that that's exactly how, he, how that happened. Uh, <clears throat> might have been close, but I always felt like, you know, if we needed more students like Will, <laughs> so, and we've got some, we've had some good ones, but uh, we would always want more like him. So uh, his writing must not have been too bad. He, you know, he did pretty well for himself after he left. So uh, we're uh, glad, thankful for him, proud of him, and glad that, uh, it, that he's here and that uh, you're privileged to have him as a pastor. And uh, I, imagine he's, I imagine he's quite happy to be the pastor of this congregation, too. I got a feeling that uh, works both ways. Well, one of the uh, main strongholds that Christians have to defend, there's that word, defend, give a reason for the hope. Folks, it's biblical authority. You know, the, the Bible's authority is being challenged today. Now, that's nothing new, but friends, listen. It's true in even conservative churches, and that's the scary thing. Uh, liberalism has always plagued the church. Okay, it's always been there. Now, it takes different forms in different historical settings and, and whatever else, but liberalism always takes this specific form. It, it can, it, it's, there's a concept here, and it can reveal itself and manifest itself in different ways. But at the heart of liberalism in every form is this. Liberalism always seeks to replace the authority of God with the authority of man. To place human experiences and human reason over and above the word of God to where man is in some way, rather than God, the final arbiter of truth. And that is happening even in our churches today. Now, classical liberalism that maybe you're more familiar of, it was like, well, we just, we just can't believe that a person could be dead and, and rise three days later. That, that just doesn't fit with our experience and our reasoning. And that's what classical liberal theology said. So it personally pretty much denied the resurrection of Jesus. You know, people just aren't born of virgins, okay? Uh, that's not how babies come. And so uh, if it didn't fit with human reason and with human experience, then it tended to be rejected and human reason and experience took authority over the word of God. And that's happening, as I have said, even today, replacing God's authority with the authority of God of human beings. Now, folks, the first place this ever happened, and this is why it certainly ought to be a warning to the church at all times. Folks, that was at the very heart of the first sin that was ever committed. If you'll look with me in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, and folks, this is really at the heart of every sin that there ever will be then. That This one is almost paradigmatic of what every other sin is going to be. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, the serpent, you know, he asked, the, asked the, the, uh, Eve, you know, can you eat of every tree? Oh, oh, no, there's one we can't. If we do, we'll die. And here's what happens in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Uh, I'll tell you what will happen. <laughs> Look here. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God, knowing good from evil. Well, what's, what's he saying there? You'll be able to determine good yourself. 
You'll get to decide what's good. God won't be telling you what's good anymore. You'll be deciding that. God won't tell you what's wrong anymore. That's going to be your decision. You and your experience and your reason is going to take authority over the Word of God. And that's precisely what happened right here. The serpent is basically saying God is being oppressive. He's seeking to keep you down, keep you in your place to where he can be the boss. He can tell you what to do and not to do, and you keep falling for it. Don't do that any longer. Well, folks, where's that happening today? Uh, and it's affecting our churches, and folks, for the most part, not our pastors, okay? It's happening, I'm experiencing, with church members, and particularly we deal with young people all the time, young people that have even had very good training, but they get out into the world and they begin to get influenced by other people. And the place that I see this happening the most, and what I want to address today, is this gender debate. The issue of genderism. <clears throat> and there are people who are committed Christians particularly young people who are falling right into that trap and it's the same trap that Eve fell into you know and I want to try to maybe explicate that somewhat for you so this gender debate what what is this this telling us it's a new form of liberalism my experience and my reasoning trumps the word of God and what God says folks that's always what liberalism is and that's the form that it takes here. In this form of liberalism, God does not determine my gender. I determine my gender. My feelings, my experiences, not God, <laughs> determine who I am in this regard. I make that choice myself. My, my gender is not determined by God. It's determined by my autonomous self. Same thing Eve was saying. I'll determine what is right. I'll make these kinds of decisions for me. Now, folks, I, I realize that this phenomena of, of gender dysphoria is very real. Uh, folks, gender dysfo dysphoria, by the way, is the condition of feeling a, 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 an emotional or psychologically that my uh, identity is at variance with what my biological birth was. <clears throat> that some, I have a psychological um, a, a feeling, emotion that I'm not really the gender that I was born with physically and biologically. That's basically what it is. Folks, that, that is a true experience that people are having. Okay? <clears throat> well, I'll talk about that in a moment. There's no doubt that is people are often confused at what their gender is. That really does happen. But folks, the question still comes down to this. It's one of authority. Does, are we who God says we are and who he created us to be or am I saying to that, no, I will determine what I am. My own experiences, my own feelings or whatever else, I'll make that choice and I'll determine who I am. Folks, is, is it better for the one who loved us and created us and knows us better than anything to tell us who we are? <laughs> or is it better for us in our very limited and even sinful dispositions to try to make that choice? But that's what it comes down to. <clears throat> I know it doesn't come any surprise to you folks, but one thing that God left out of the Bible was my opinion and your opinion. He never asked us, and it's a good thing. You know, God asks a lot of questions in the Bible, but folks, he never asks a question in order to gain further information. There's a lot of reasons you can ask a question. It's never to actually inform him of something or get your opinion as if that actually mattered to God. God is a sovereign God. Self is not auto autonomous. Now, here's the proof of that. I've had people talk about my autonomous self. I make all the decisions that are pertinent. You know, that's the self. That's me. And, you know, I, I like to point out to them very nicely, you know, let me prove to you that's not true. Did you choose when you were going to be born? No. 
Did you choose who you were going to be born to? No. Did you choose anything else about your birth, where you were going to be born? No. Friend, that's because God determined that. Okay. They're not an autonomous self that determines the true things about them. The point is, there's one more thing that God determined that a lot of times they're rejecting, and that is their gender. That is something that was given to them at the very beginning. Now, if we want to understand this, folks, if we want to find God's blueprint for how we're supposed to live, even on issues about our, our gender, where do we turn? Well, folks, we turn to the manual that describes all this for us. You know, when, when I, I bought a lawnmower several years ago, when it wasn't operating correctly, I got the manual down and started reading it. You know why? Because it was written by people that had made this thing and understood how it was supposed to operate. If we want to understand how we are supposed to operate and how we're supposed to function, what we have to do is read the manual that was written by the creator that actually explains these kinds of things to us, and that is the Word of God. What does God say about gender? So we'll begin looking in Genesis chapter 1. Let me remind you that Genesis chapter 1 is the creation account. Now, you're aware of that, but the reason I point that out to you is that in that creation account, notice there hasn't been any cultures yet, okay? No cultures have come along. When he's creating part of the order of creation, he's giving to us. So you can't read these verses and say, well, that's just their culture in which that was true. No, at this time, there wasn't any culture at all. God was setting the guidelines for every culture that was ever supposed to come, that indeed would come. So this is not somebody's culture that is being reflected here. This is God speaking about his purpose for the created order. In chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over all creep, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now, folks, look. Male and female, he created them. It did not say he created them and asked them to determine whether or not they were male or female. That was assigned at the creation. This is not a specific culture. This is God's plan. So what do we see from this passage? Folks, first of all, notice that gender is a gift of God. God was pretty smart in doing things that way. I don't mean to be condescending to where he was. Hey, you did a good job with that, God. But it is a gift to us. It is part of the beautiful plan that God had from the beginning that in his love and his kindness, he created us the way he did as male and female. Now, with that, notice male and female. The biblical position is, and, and this is what the society at large hates to hear, and as your pastor indicated, the more we say it, the more hated we're going to be, but the more we see it, the more we need to say it. And that is, gender is binary. That means there's only two of them. Folks, I haven't done any research lately. You can probably go on the internet and do it. But to find out, uh, when I looked a year or so ago, maybe longer than that, there were like 111 identifiable genders that psychologists and sociologists were acknowledging. Okay. My goodness, what restroom would they possibly go in? We'd have to have 111 of them. You know, there's something wrong here. Okay. It says binary, you are either one or the other. Now, certainly men and women in the scriptures and even beyond, they, they have expressed that masculinity and that femininity in various ways, but scripture still operates within two categories, men, women, male and female, and that's all. Uh, 
it, folks, you know, even, even people who talk about transgender, I was a male, became a female, a female, even they acknowledge that it's binary. I, I've never heard anybody say, well, I had some kind of a sex change and became some third thing. Well, they acknowledge there's not a third thing. There is male and there's female. And that's the way it was from the beginning. Now, what's even more questioned and challenged in our day, of which the scripture says here, is gender is defined biologically. Your gender is determined biologically. What you are biologically is what your gender is assigned to you. Our gender is not merely something psychological. Now, which gender we are does have an, a psychological effect on us and our development, and all, that's certainly true. But, but gender is defined biologically. Now, let me, let me point out to you, folks, until relatively recently, there was no distinction between sex and gender. What your se biological sex was is what your gender was. Okay? And, uh, let me, th this is a modern distinction. When I say modern, I mean a contemporary distinction, you know, that at least became prominent within the last eight to ten years. So let me, Webster's Dictionary, I looked this up some time ago, and here was the definition of sex. Okay? It's one of the two divisions of organisms formed in the distinction of male and female. And then it says, it's a synonym for gender. That's exactly right. Sex is a synonym for gender. Your sex is your gender. Your gender is your sex. Okay? And then I looked up gender, and it said sex. That's what it is. Your gender is your sex. You're either male or female. A synonym for gender, it says, is sex. So notice one's sex was, is with your gender One's gender was your sex. They don't have anything to do with your experiences, how you feel, or whatever else. Now, then I, I looked up in what was the contemporary online dictionary. Online. This was a new written dictionary, okay? Now, sex was basically the same thing. It's either male or female division of, of a species, especially as for, for reproductive functions. This is a given. You're born with your sex. You're either biologically a male or you're biologically a female. Okay? But listen to gender. Listen to, the, listen to the, the definition that they're giving of gender. It is a character, a, a category of human beings that is outside of the male and female binary classification. <laughs> you got male and you're female, but a person's gender is not necessarily associated. It is based on the individual's personal awareness or identity. You know what that's saying? It's saying that individual and not God will determine what their gender is. Folks, that's why I said that's theological liberalism all over again. It's replacing the word of God with the word of man. It's, it's using my experiences to trump the very word of God who created us. So the definition of sex remains, remains the same, but gender is something that changed, and it's something that can change, and it's something that you decide, and I would just say, let's make sure we don't confuse that with the biblical view, okay? The biblical view is very clear. You know what was very interesting as I wrote this? It just dawned on me when it came. I, now, I wasn't using a really up-to-date uh, word processing program. Now, it didn't come out just yesterday either, or it wasn't 20 years, but it wasn't within the last four or five years. And when I typed the word transgender, it didn't recognize it. Because that tells you something, you know. It didn't even know the word, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and now, it's not only a word that we know, it is being pressed upon us by our society to accept somebody with whatever gender of the 111 or how many of them they are now, it's pressed upon us that we're to not only say, well, that's okay, but to affirm that person in their decision. That's, again, not the biblical view. 
So in keeping, we see it in various disciplines with their, the naturalistic worldview, the naturalism that we, that we live in. You, people in such fields as psychology are going to say something like this. Now in psychology, notice they're gonna distinguish sex and gender. In psychology, the sex is given, but gender is fluid based on one's experiences. Folks, you know, that, about, that makes about as much sense to me as saying, you know, in math, two plus two is four, but in psychology, it's 72. Folks, truth is truth. It doesn't matter what discipline it is in. And, and, and I try to inform my students and warn them all of the time, folks, if we're either, we're either going to psychologize our theology or we're going to theologize our psychology. One of them and only one is going to be supreme. Only one of them is going to have the final word. And that is to, to be what the word of God says it is. I want you to notice also in this passage, both genders are made in the image of God. Nowhere, regardless of how men have acted sometime in the past, you know, the, the Bible never indicates that men are more in the image uh, of God than women are, or that women are somehow less uh, than that. There's, there's no male that ought to be proud and feel superior because he's a male, and there is no female that ought to feel disappointed or inferior because she's a female. Both are of equal value. Now, God assigned them different functions, but the value is the same. They were both created in the image of God. The, the, the genders were assigned but they are of equal worth and value in the sight of God. As I said, we men have not always acted that way. But that's the biblical position here. Gender, according to Genesis, is part of our essence. The es that means the essence of something means you can't take that away from it and it still be the same thing that it is. It, it's, an, it's part of the essence of what it is. Okay. It, it, being male or being female is a part of our essence. God created humanity to be one of those or the other. Not both. Not one at one time and then the other at another time. Okay? He created it and that is part of his magnificent plan. It is not, as we are often told, gender is just a social construct. That's just something we've come up with. And you can change it with your own experiences. Again, that is not the biblical view. Gender is part of who we actually are. Now, if you look back at verse, look I mean, further at verse 31. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Friends, it ought to be clear to us. If God created something a certain way and said it's very good, it was good. And it can't be improved upon. Any kind of changes that we try to make placing our word, our will over God's is not going to be good. The way God did it was good. We should be thankful that he did it that way. So gender, when we talk about that is maleness or femaleness, it's God's idea. And you know, folks, I don't know. I, I, Every time I look at a woman, I'm glad that God did that. You know, I think, man, that's a great idea, you know? Uh, but it's not great because I said it was great. It's great because he said it was great. And, and it was part of the beauty of the creation order which, we, which he created. And so far from being any kind of a cultural construct, it was part of God's plan from the very beginning. Now, with it this clear in the scriptures, it's going to make us wonder what kind of problems would, would even Christians be having with this. Well, I want to address that before my time is over here. Now, but then we come to Genesis 2. Let's look at Genesis 2. Uh, Genesis 1, I like somebody said it's this way. It's sort of giving us the Google Earth view, you know, from way up here, you know. And, and, and then he's going to come down and, and focus on the Google Street view. You know, we're going to get down to the individual's individual. So he's given us an overall view of this creation in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he's going to hone down and start talking about individually what he did. And I want us to notice particularly on the sixth day what happens. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. 
Then the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Folks, look down to verse 21. This sounds like what ought to come next. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. He took her up. That's what sounds like it ought to come next. But it doesn't. There's two verses that seem to interrupt the flow here. God said, I'm going to make a woman for you, and then he didn't do it. He said, I'm going to make a woman for you, but that's not what he did. Notice 19, out of the ground that God had formed every beast of the earth, all this, and what does he do? He brings all these animals by Adam for him to name them. Well, God didn't say anything about he was going to do that. Why did he do that? Well, it's clear why he wanted, to, wanted him to. He wanted Adam to learn why God was going to do this. As Adam looked at the animals, there's something you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. There's two of every one of those. And Adam realized, wait a minute, there's only one of me. And God says, okay, now let's get back to what I was telling you I was going to do. Okay? You, you, then you go on to verse uh, uh, 19, and he tells us actually what he actually is going to do. Then he starts creating Eve for it. But he didn't do it until Adam understood, I am incomplete. That the female is created in order to be a complement, to, to help fulfill who he is called to be. Now, I love this. Uh, this word, there's a lot of translations are translated when it says she, he, he, he was going to create a helper, a helper suitable to him. Folks, the word literally means this. I'm going to create one who is like opposite you. Well, that sounds like a contradiction. Like opposite. Well, is she going to be like me or is she going to be opposite me? And God says, yes. She's going to be like you in that she's not going to be a hyena or a hippopotamus like you just went through. She is like you in that she's going to be human. But she is opposite you because you're male and she's going to be female. So he is creating one who is like opposite him. Why is that? Well, in part, he goes on to say, so they can be fruitful and multiply. Friends, that's the way God created reality. And you see, when we as a society began to move away from that, you, you run into all kinds of conundrums, problems. For instance, you've got these two men that want to act like husband and wife, but they want to have a baby. Two men can't have a baby. Two women can't have a baby because God didn't ordain it that way. And so we have to try to use all kinds of in vitro fertilization and all these kinds of where they, but they still can't do it without a male and a female. And that's because that's the way God created reality to be. And we are bumping into reality in all places and can't figure out why it's causing us problems. Okay? It's causing us problems because we're not living in light of the reality that God created and we keep bumping into reality and having all kinds of problems because we're not actually living that way. Now, there's the creation, but think, wait a minute, what about the fall? Because uh, Well, after the fall, what happens? Well, folks, notice after the fall, there's still a gender distinction. Okay? I won't spend a whole lot of time with that, but you know, when God, when, when he places a curse on Adam, he gives him sort of what I call a male curse, okay? He doesn't say anything about childbirth because they don't give birth to children. He said something about you're going to have to work and toil and it's going to be difficult for you. That's what males were doing. They still do that. When he turns to the female, he says something about her giving birth as a child. Why? Because the fall into sin didn't change those distinctions that God actually made. Gender distinctions hold even after the fall. Now, folks, here's the question. But wait a minute. What about after we're saved and re we're redeemed? I would just say the same thing holds. Uh, now, there's a question that a lot of people have because somehow they have a hard time reading Galatians 3.28. Okay? So maybe we ought to look at that. Galatians 3.28 says, it ends by saying you can see in Christ Jesus. So it's talking about people who are in Christ. 
There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female because you're one in Christ. Folks, I've had people actually say, well, see, in, in Christ, though, there's not male or female anymore. Well, you still have to have male and female, even if you're Christian, if you're going to have a baby. How's that actually change anything? Uh, you know, when a person comes in Christ, folks, it says Jews, no, not Jew, not Greek, slave or free. Folks, after, after people, Jews were saved, they were still in the line of Abraham. They were still Jews. This can't possibly mean there's really not such things as Jews anymore. There's no, it meant in Christ there is a unity there that was not present to begin with. Males and females remain males and females even after, uh, after being redeemed. A lot of people say, you know, Jesus really didn't have anything to say about this. Folks, I'll say the first thing. He didn't have much to say, and I'll tell you why. Because nobody in his day questioned it. <laughs> You, know, you tend to preach to and address the issues of the day. Jesus accepted the Old Testament as the word of God. There were places where it was being questioned in his day. Jesus didn't mind addressing those. But people say Jesus never did address really the gender issue. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yes, he did. In Matthew chapter 19, um, beginning with verse 4, have you not read, and by the way, that means in the Old Testament, that was Jesus' authority, was the Old Testament. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's binary. One or the other. And then he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. He didn't say the man is supposed to leave for his husband. It's to leave for his wife. The wife is to be with her husband. Jesus never gives any other option. So in the redeemed life, there's still only two genders. And I'm thankful for it. God's very wise. You say, well, wait a minute. What about ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth? Well, what's going to happen there? Now, Jesus certainly said there's not going to be marriage. There's not going to be giving in marriage, but he doesn't say there's not going to be male and female. It's a matter of fact, that's part of our personhood. The Bible talks about the resurrection of the dead. Folks, when we be resurrected, we then don't lose our biological and gender identities. When Jesus went to heaven, was raised, he wasn't then gender neutral or something else. He was still a male. He's still a male in heaven today. Paul actually teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to have renewed bodies. We're still going to be ourselves. And so that is not going to change. Now, what do we say then about the transgender issue? Folks, I need to move on here. Folks, listen, we need to approach gender dysphoria with compassion and with truth. Both are necessary. I think sometimes maybe we haven't been very compassionate. And therefore, some people haven't been willing to listen to the truth. Uh, the issue is not about a debate, folks. It's about people who are created in the image of God that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Uh, so it's not a debate that we're interested in. It's truth that we are interested in. Uh, but even many Christians, I, I hear follow, you say something like, well, listen, why don't we just do the loving thing? Let everybody be what they want to and just leave them alone. Well, Folks, I'm afraid some people are saying the same thing about evangelism. The same, but well, these people are Muslims, just leave them alone. Just let them be what they want to be. Well, you know, that certainly sounds good on the surface. But Jesus said to take the gospel to every living creature and explain to them the truth. Paul said, he basically, I begged people. I earned, Paul didn't say, oh, they're happy. Let them just be what they want to be. Well, the same thing has to be when we approach the issue of, of gender. We can't just say, well, just let people be what they want to be and let's keep our mouths shut. God didn't save us for us to keep our mouths shut. Now, he, he, did, he did create us in part to speak the truth in love. Okay? 
And they both need to be present, as I said, and sometimes there's not because, folks, remember this. People always say, well, the loving thing to do is just leave them alone. Folks, the person who loves you is the person who tells you the truth. Do you got me? The person that loves you is the one that tells you the truth, not the one that just leaves you, leaves you going on in error. If I go to the doctor and I have cancer and he won't tell me because he loves me too much, he doesn't love me. The person that loves you tells you the truth. And we must speak the truth at this point. So let's also keep in mind, folks, we are all sinners. Sin has affected us in various ways, not all the same. I am not bothered and have not been in my sinful nature. I have not been uh, bothered with gender dysphoria, okay? That just is not a problem to me. But folks, listen, there are some problems that I have and temptations and issues that I have that other people don't have. And it's because of my fallen sinful nature, okay? I'm glad God redeems those kinds of things. But the fact is, we all have our own sins and shortcomings for which we need to be very careful and seek God's forgiveness when we fail. But having said that, let me hasten to say, again, gender is not really the real issue, folks. It's a more fundamental issue, and that is a, a life that's meaningful and leads to human flourishing. When you see the absolute confusion that this has thrown our society in today, there's no way we can look at that and say that's leading to human flourishing. That, that is not leading to human flourishing. Folks, if you don't have a God, if you don't believe in God, you're basically going to be, for the most part, what's called a naturalist. I don't believe in anything supernatural at all. Well, folks, here's the thing naturalists have to agree on. If there's not a God, there's no meaning or purpose in life. There was no reason we were put here. We're just accidents of nature. Well, that'll help your self-esteem, won't it? <laughs> you're just here as an accident of nature. You know, there's no, so what do you have to do? you have to create your own meaning and purpose because there's not really one. For naturalism, you have to decide what gender you are because there's not one actually given by a creator. But folks, again, that's not the biblical view. Uh, our, our world today, with that naturalistic worldview, since there's not a God, to your own self be true. Folks, if the devil would have thought that, that's exactly what he would have said to Eve in the garden. To yourself be true. Don't listen to God as he tries to oppress you and force his will on you. Okay? Don't do it. To your own self be true. Folks, that is not the biblical view. The biblical view is to God be true regardless of what you think about yourself. God's not interested in that. So what our young people are falling for, many of them, are this, it's the same thing. They get out in the world and they start meeting people who are transgender or homosexual. And these are nice people. They're their friends. And their friends start saying, yeah, the world oppresses us. You know, that's the problem when you read the Bible, it's oppressing people who are like us, homosexuals. You know, it, it's, it's, it's oppressing people who are transgender that are having this dysphoria. It's oppressing us. And the conclusion that many of even our young people are drawing is that's exactly what it's doing. I know of one right now. Came through a Christian school. Parents were missionaries. She grew up on the mission field. And yet, she's coming that far to denying the existence of God completely. Why? Because of what the Bible says is in conflict with her, what her friends are practicing. Folks, that's nothing other than the liberalism again. Whose word are you going to take? This is misleading. And again, the picture is God is oppressing you. He doesn't want what's best for you. Friend, when God made you a male, if you're a male, and made you a female, if you're a female, listen, God was doing something loving for you. He was doing something good and kind for you. And we are to find our ultimate joy and fulfillment in fulfilling his plan for us. And you can look at the world immediately and see what happens as soon as we move away from God's plan. Folks, it does not lead to freedom. It leads to bondage of the worst sort. 
And that's why we have to tell the truth. Folks, there are some Christians, and you, if you've talked with them, you've talked, that, that are just saying, look, people are born that way. They're born that way. Well, I'm not going to get into the debate. Of, I, I can certainly debate that, but I'm not going to at this point. But even if I conceded that, that they were born this way, folks, what they're assuming is this, okay? If you're born that way, then it's just natural, and whatever is natural is good. Folks, I want you to think about that last phrase for a moment. Whatever comes natural is good. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. However you're born, that's natural and that's good. Folks, ask them this, but you can't ask them very long from now because this is finally going to be accepted too. You can write this down. I'm not the prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you right now, this is what's coming. What if somebody says then, okay, how we're born is how God made us. That's natural and therefore it's good. And I find my sexual fulfillment only with children. There's a word for that. It's a pedophile. Okay? Now, if you start down this road, every person decides for himself or herself. There is no way on God's green earth that you can look at that person and tell them they're wrong. Why? Because it's natural. I was born this way. Folks, there's a lot of people that were born natural with a, a, a bad temper. They just say, I'm born, that's just sort of me, you know? And God's saying, well, stop it then, okay? Uh, don't do it, you know? Be regenerated, get it changed or whatever else. <clears throat> I mean, you, you can even look at it this way. Would they say the same thing physically? Would they say, okay, here's a child born with a heart defect. Hey, but that's natural. That means it's good. No, we would understand that it was a defect. Okay? It's, it's, whatever happens naturally is not necessarily good. But I've heard some unbelievers or some believers even also say, well, now I agree with that, that, that God created us male or female. But listen, I know some very good people that just have a sense and they just are aware that the sex that they, that they have biologically is not their gender. You know? <clears throat> And folks, the question just comes again, okay, well, who's supposed to decide that? Is that what God says or what they're, and it goes back to the liberalism again, okay? Who actually, do I go by my feelings? And by the way, the re, you say, it seems like to me these days more and more people are having their feelings than they used to, those feelings, they are. And that's because society is fanning the flames of this and making it not only acceptable, but a good thing. So there are people that supposedly are feeling this more and more. And folks, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that there's a such thing as gender dysphoria because we believe in the fall, that people are born sinful. You don't trust your heart. In fact, the Bible warns us of that. It says it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Folks, if God says our hearts are deceitful and he's a God of truth, it shouldn't be hard for us to figure out which one of those to trust. We can't trust our hearts. We can't trust uh, our feelings and our emotions. Now, again, I don't doubt that those are there. And I, I'm sorry for those people. But there are other people that are born with other kinds of problems, and I'm sorry for But we need to be redeemed in Christ. I hear some Christians saying, you know, uh, that, that if you insist to this person that's saying, I'm having this gender dysphoria. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a male that's stuck in a female's body. Folks, let me tell you something. Ten years ago, that wouldn't have made sense to anybody. If you'd have said something like that, they'd have thought, what in the world do you mean you're a male trapped inside a female's body? Folks, not only do we, is that's very prominent now. You know, and, and, and they say, you know, if you, if you actually say that, then, and you say, no, that, that's not true, then that's you oppressing them. But friends, let's be very clear. We're not oppressing anybody. We're just telling them what God said. And then let me tell you this, God's not oppressing them either. He's giving them the way to freedom and they're not accepting it. And so when they insist that, you know, uh, it's oppressive, folks, listen, every time I go down, I, when I go home today, there's going to be speed limit signs. You know what they are? They're oppressive to me. It's telling me I can't do what I want to do. 
That's, that oppresses me. Folks, every law oppresses you in some way. It's telling you what you can't do. But it's not because it doesn't like you. It's because the people that put the laws there are trying to do it for your own good. And the same thing is true with us. God is not oppressing us by giving us a gender and saying we need to live by that. He is the one who knows what is best for you. And so that's a main thing. The Bible is oppressive. You know, if it's oppressive to homosexuals. It's oppressive to people, transgender people. It's oppre- no, it's not. It's freeing. It's liberating. The oppression comes when we refuse to walk the path that God would have us walk based on actually how he has created us. So a key pillar of this whole transgender thought is that my own identity, my own choices, my own feelings trumps my physical anatomy. My physical anatomy doesn't tell me if I'm, my gender is male or female. But folks, let me, to help us here, let's think about this for a moment. Let's take an issue where it's not going to be so controversial so people won't have emotions, okay? Let's take, let's take this view. Instead of a guy saying, you know, I've got a male body, but I'm a female trapped inside of this. I'm really a female, but I've just got a male body, okay? What would we say? Well, folks, what society today says, well, you need surgery, <laughs> You need, you need to bring your physical body in line with who you really are. If there's, a, if there's a conflict between how you feel and what your body's telling you, we need to change your body. Well, let's take, for instance, there's a person who says, here's my problem. I am a, 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 a blind person in a seeing person's body. I'm a blind person. That's who I really feel like I am. I ought to be blind. But I'm in this body that can see. Folks, what would a society say? You need psychological help. Nobody would say, well, you just need surgery to make you blind. You just need your, you just need your body surgically to come in line with what you're actually feeling. And it, by the way, you say, that is outlandish. First of all, it's an example, and it makes the point. And second, it's exactly what's already happened one time. How do you tell a person? I'm really, the real me is blind. I just just don't want to have sight. That's just not me. Well, I'll guarantee you they didn't say of them, well, we just need to have surgery and blind you. They said, you need psychological help. You need your thinking brought in alignment with who you are biologically and physically. Folks, only on the issue of gender does anybody do the kind of nonsense that they're doing now where they say have some kind of surgery and bring that in line with who you are mentally or emotionally. And so the Bible teaches us that God made us male or female. Doesn't matter about our own own thoughts on it. The the view today is self. Self is at the heart of of this whole thing. I will define me. And folks, remember, when you define and determine who you are, you're saying also who God is. When you say, I am what I say, you're saying I'm not what God says. God is not the sovereign ruler. When a person rejects their given gender, they are rejecting God's lordship as creator over all of life. It's just that simple. You know, the the gospel, and even though I have stressed this so much today, let me remind you, folks, the basic issue is not gender issues. Folks, the, the issue is salvation issue. It's a relationship with God issue. Uh, it's a command. It's a problem of not surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Rosaria Butterfield was a uh, practicing lesbian for many, many years. And listen what she says. She's converted to Christ. She says, I was not saved out of homosexuality. I was saved out of unbelief. Now, folks, when she got the unbelief fixed, everything else straightened out, okay? She, she was exactly right. Her problem was not homosexuality. It wasn't lesbian. That wasn't the problem. 
The problem was unbelief. The problem was rebellion against God. And when she surrendered to him, everything else comes out okay. And she's exactly right. You know, God is the one who created us. And he knows what's best for us. Uh, Twice while I was in school in New Orleans, twice I went back to New Orleans on a train. And there were places through Mississippi down there, really beautiful, where just going looked like through great pasture land. Boy, there was a, a river, a creek or something running down. And boy, I just loved looking out at that. But you know, I thought while I was looking at it, I thought, you know, if this train could actually think, I know what he'd be thinking. I make this trip twice a week. And the whole time, That blame engineer keeps me staying on these tracks right here, and I don't get to go out in that beautiful meadow and live like the way I want to and and rub my wheels in that stream and all that. I don't get to do any of that. You say, that'd be foolish. You see, the, 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 the people who design that train are the ones who design those tracks, and they designed the train to run on the tracks. If the train gets off the tracks... It doesn't gain freedom. It loses the freedom that it has and ends in bondage. Friends, God created us. He's the one that made us. He he made us and he made our gender and he put us in this world for it to match up. And when we listen to Satan and say, I'm just, I'm just too confined on these tracks that God put me on, I need to get off. Friends, it never ends in freedom. It ends in bondage. And if we love people, we'll lovingly tell them that. And the beautiful thing is, is Christ redeems sinners. Dr. Butterfield would tell you that. I lived that kind of life and other kinds of lives in sin. Jesus actually redeems and changes people's hearts. Your pastor talked about hope, folks. That's our only hope. That's our only hope. Lord, we thank you for the time we've able, been able to have together. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to thank you, even though maybe nothing was said here that rubbed any of us here the wrong way. Lord, we do thank you that at times it does rub us the wrong way. That it does touch on things that are our issues. But Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. And Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us in your sins as you could have done. But Lord, by your spirit, you intercepted us. You changed us. You redeemed us. You regenerated us and brought us new life, Lord, in which we find our ultimate joy in submitting ourselves to who you are. Lord, where we fail to do that, we ask your forgiveness. And we thank you that you are a pardoning. In Christ's name we pray.